Welcome back to The Treatment with Dr. Rahi. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Dr. Siri Chand Khalsa, who is both a medical doctor as well as an Ayurvedic practitioner amongst a list of other talents that she has, which includes being a plant-based chef, I am so excited to have her on the show today. She is an inspiration, both in the way that she practices medicine and just her presence alone. She was my former uh, professor when I did my fellowship in integrative medicine at the University of Arizona, so I'm honored that she has agreed to join me on my podcast and I can't wait to learn so much more from her. Hi, Dr. Siri Chand. Welcome to my podcast. I'm so excited to have you. It's great to be here and delighted to connect more with you. So um, you were my professor at the University of Arizona, and I really, you were probably one of the most fascinating instructors. Um, And I'm so excited that you came on to talk with me and share with me your story and how you went from traditional medicine to Ayurvedic medicine and now you're and what you're doing now. I I really appreciate the invite and I'm always excited to meet with people who've done the fellowship and learn about their amazing practices and how they're implementing it in their own lives. Thank you. Yeah, I, I think that the Integrative Medicine Fellowship really helped change myself um and my practice. I before I was working as a hospitalist. And um, as soon as I had the chance to, I created my own practice. And now I practice a combination of integrative aesthetics, but every single day, I feel like I, I don't know anything. I'm like, I still need to learn more. And I, 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 I keep learning and learning and learning. And then I'm like, oh my God, there's still so much more to learn. I think that's such an amazing observation. And one of the things I love about integrative medicine is that there's this all-embracing, encompassing inner discovery. And there's ancient sciences like Ayurveda and traditional Chinese medicine that are bridging into modern nutrigenomics, metabolomics, um, epigenetics, you know, all of these um, bridges of science and sages, as I like to say. And I think when you really dive into integrative medicine, you just sort of embrace that, that curiosity and discovery. And you don't say, oh no, just because there's not a double blind placebo controlled trial, I'm completely negating the, the potentiality of value. And I think that's been such a shortcoming. And I think that's why so many people in medicine want to make a transition because they think I'm more dimensional than this. Yeah, I agree with you so much on that. Um... I think that when I was, when I was doing the traditional stuff solely, um, it was really hard for me. Um, I felt that my body was not functioning to its optimal capacity. And, um, I felt that when I was treating my patients, that it was just sort of keeping them hanging by a thread. And we knew inevitably they'd come back into the hospital, like the have you ever, you, I'm sure you did. Did you do residency? I know you did traditional medical school. Did you also do like, you did the internal medicine residency, right? Right. I, I did. That. Yeah. I, I trained at uh, Mayo Clinic. So I did a really oh. formal, you know, super formal training for yeah. sure. 
actually, can you tell me about your experience and how that, because I, I don't want to talk about my experience. Um, I, I want to know about, about how you went through your internal residency and what that, what, what, how that led you to where you are today. Well, so actually, I would dial it back even further to my pre-med time. And I always like to share a story. And I think that you know, sometimes the hardships that we go through end up being the most profound, transforming, important elements of our, of our life. And so I had gone to, um, and this is the, uh, the, long, the short, long story, I like to say. Um, so I, was, I was in a, grew up in Northern Virginia, a suburb of Washington, DC, and went to a, a very prestigious math and science high school. And at that high school, which is nationally ranked, it was a pressure cooker. You know, you already are starting to experience at 16, 17, high pressure academic environment. And by the time I was, of course, pre-med, because everyone at the school was engineering, pre-med, pre-law or IT, like the, <laughs> everyone went to college and you were, everyone was either, you know, going to go on to study or <clears throat> So by the time I had arrived to college in pre-med, I was already experiencing, you might say, some early burnout. Oh, yeah. And I had a lot of like health issues because of that. And I went one day to the UVA student health and the gentleman there decided, and this is so mind boggling, because even if I was purely allopathic, I would never do this. Yeah. But he was like, I think phenobarbital would help you. Like, what? I know, right? Just like, so, and I wasn't even... <laughs> so out of sync or out of balance that like it would merit like this intense tranquilizer basically for those of you that aren't medically um familiar with the term and so i i'm a bit of a maverick was he was he a primary provider or yeah i think he was a resident i think he was a like a medical student who may not have had interest in primary care you know like sometimes you know, there's differing yeah. philosophies around yeah. how we think about things. It was like, here, take this pill and go away. It was just like this beautiful, classic example of all that's wrong. And it was so accentuated. It was no, to me, it was no accident. The timing, the person, how yeah. pronounced his, how decidedly wrong his recommendation was. So if I could go back in time, I would thank him because obviously I was, Initially, I was, you know, I was brought up in a household where there wasn't a lot of exploration outside the, the boundaries, outside the rules, and, you know, classic suburban up, upbringing in many ways. Yeah, yeah. So, but there was just always this part of me that thought, I'm, I'm in charge of me. <laughs> like, you know, you know how there's so much coaching now and languaging around these things. Yeah, but, but what did you, like, when, when he gave it to you, did you... Like, what, what did you do? Well, so here's what I did. So this is 1990. So we're going to go, we're doing a little time trip here. And there wasn't so much available then as alternatives, but I decided that I was not going to take the medication and I was going to find other solutions because I may have taken it once just because I didn't know better or didn't really understand conceptually. I wasn't yeah. a doctor at that point. And, you know, you don't always jump into PubMed and learn about a medicine. It wasn't even, the internet wasn't even around then. So you'd have to go to a PDR and look it up. And maybe I knew about, but at any rate, I think what I did is I ended up in a metaphysical bookstore and pulled out a book on Ayurveda. And, wow. <laughs> you know, and that was this intersection of, of like, there was this blossoming, like a flower, like a petal on the flower kind of went boom. You know, the bloom hadn't bloomed, but yeah. 
tight bud had this capacity. And so what ended up happening, which I, I don't know that I totally recommend because it was very difficult, is I basically did two pathways of study. So the whole way through I was doing the allopathic studies, I was also learning Reiki, Ayurveda, traditional Chinese medicine, yoga. But what medicine. was the, what was, um, why did you decide to still pursue the allopathic after you had started reading about the Ayurveda? Yeah, so this is a really fast, this is another really fascinating facet of the story. You're, you're so intuitive. So, um, so <laughs> well, I'm I, just asking all the questions I've always Yeah, asked. I know, exactly. <laughs> well, so what happened was I, so I had this sort of awakening, if you will, in my third year of college, and I ended up taking a semester off because obviously I had all these health issues. And so, yeah, so much advanced placement credit that I still could graduate on time and take a semester off. So at UVA, they let you do that. So I took a semester off and I learned to do natural cooking. So I took a bunch of classes on vegetarian plant. They didn't call it plant-based at that time. It was vegetarian cooking. And I learned to meditate and I quit being pre-med, but I, you know, there was a part of me that thought, well, you know, maybe you can, you could be an integrator, you know, you could be a bridge builder. So now this is 30 years ago. So things weren't so progressive at that time. A lot, a lot has changed. Even what Andy Weil has done through introducing curriculum and normalizing. Yeah. So then I, then I took four years between med school and undergrad. And in that time, I looked at Ayurvedic schools, acupuncture schools, and naturopathic schools. Yeah. And I had this, um, for what it's worth, I had this underlying dilemma that I was a little more scientist than intuitive or mystic at that time. And these other pathways didn't lean as much into evidence and science and studies the way medicine does. And so when I would go visit their clinics and I would, you know, learn about it, I would always feel a little discouraged that there wasn't as much reliance on the science that we do know and the theories that we are, that are acceptable and that, you know, don't need so much. We can learn them. We can know them. It doesn't mean we deny them. And so that was really tough for me because I actually probably wanted to be more in those traditions, but they hadn't brought the science in. And so it was very difficult. We were taught that like, you have to have that strict sort of double blind placebo, placebo controlled study. And um, you do, but you don't. Um, and cause they, but we're also not taught to like be mindful and like understand our bodies from a young age. like. So like we're, it's just, I think it's, I think it's the problem is deeper than just like the science, like needing that study to prove that this drug can work. I think it, it's something deeper where like, we need to be more in touch with our bodies from birth and like having that connection and that understanding and like understanding diet and lifestyle and all that stuff. You're absolutely right. And I think that was, there was just that friction of like, where does the intelligence of the body and the body's wisdom and where do I learn that beyond what science can deliver us to at this point? And it was yeah. like, it was a really difficult decision for me because none of them held at all. Yeah. None of them held the fullness of what I feel like is the human experience. And so yeah. it was tough, yeah. but ultimately, 
there was almost a higher command intuitively that going through the allopathic route, um, I could be I could be helpful because I understood the value of these other elements and constantly, you know, but, would bring them into But what did the- your co medical students and residents think of you when you were like prescribing like when you were yeah. or when you were talking about this stuff? Well, you know, here's the fun part is that I and this may seem kind of glib or or odd, but I always like to say I speak science and I speak woo. And so <laughs> <you> know, <laughs> Like I'm kind of fluent in both. And so if you need me to be super analytical and scientific, I have ways, I would have ways of framing things that a scientific or analytic mind could sort of be available to. And I feel like this has sort of been a big, um, this is something I'd like to help with, although I'm not sure totally how, is that there, there are almost these divides based on just the simplicity of how the terminology is people in different fields, like complementary or deeply alternative fields, like naturopaths and chiropractors and energy healers versus the traditional allopathic, they actually want the same things, but they sometimes use language that's very activating for the other party and feels like, and really they want the same things. And so I always felt like I could sort of be like this mediator and hold the paradox of well, what they're saying here is and then translate it in a way that feels more analytical or scientific to someone who's not interested in entertaining the intangible or the unmeasurable. That makes sense? Yeah, totally. And so you were able to be that, be that person in med school residency. It took a toll on me though. I will not, I mean, full disclosure, like riding that, the, I always say riding the tail of that dragon was pretty brutal because by the time I finished residency, I had definitely been in a series of conversations and situations and in climates that weren't really elevating, elevating for me. They, they made me feel heavy and dense and really took me to a place of sort of denying what felt naturally true to me. So as soon as I finished residency, um, I moved to Tucson to try to work with Andy Weil and their group. (laughs) And you just knew about him how? Well, I had been following his work since um, undergrad. So part of that whole discovery I did as an undergrad was like, well, who's trying to combine these tr- treatments? Who's trying to yeah the road of both of these things simultaneously yeah. existing? And there were very, James Gordon was another one I connected to earlier on. He's at um, Georgetown Mind Body Medicine Institute. Yeah. But him and Andy Wild, you know, they, they were the people I looked up to. There were a handful of other doctors, but they were pretty below the radar because it was be- before the internet and before and they yeah. might write a book. And it's harder to access people. You'd have to go do workshops or go to conferences. Yeah. Like you had no idea what someone thought or believed unless you were at a conference with them. And so I would go to um, conferences that might have. And now we have Clubhouse. (laughs) Exactly. Like, oh gosh. Like all over the world. Yeah. Everything's unzipping now. (laughs) It's so true. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was basically what happened. And Um, I definitely, I ended up taking about six months off after residency to just sort of, you know, reclaim a sense of balance and kind of dive, 
yeah, like dive back in and say, okay, what do I, what else do I want to study? What else do I need to study to become proficient? And ultimately it took a bit of time. I finished in 2005 in 2011 to 14, I went and studied with Dr. Vasant Ladd. So that was when Did I you work at all as an allopathic practitioner, <laughs> practitioner. Never. Nope. So three years. And, you know, in many ways, I feel like we have this conditioning in allopathic medicine. So conditioned. You can't take time off. You can't do these other things. And well, for, I mean, in all honesty, for certain people, you couldn't, like I couldn't take time off. Like I had student loans up my, up, up, up. And <laughs> I had, you know, I just didn't, I, but yeah, but so, like, I felt like I couldn't, I couldn't. I yeah. would, no, I get it. I mean, that position. Yeah. I, and when I did that, you know, when I studied with yeah. Dr. Ladd, I basically was in um, affordable housing. You know what I'm saying? Like it was, there were trade-offs. Like I was affordable in affordable housing. Where was that? In Albuquerque. Like, I mean, uh, yeah, you know, I apartments that. that are $450 a month, you know, it's, it's a thing. I, <laughs> and you know you're really living slim and I had saved some money from working yeah. and had you know I have student loans but they weren't staggering and so yeah, like the allopathic system like like it's like most medical not all like they'll come out with like large amount of student loans and it's like anxiety it's like I, like <laughs> I think you know and I think the student loan discussion is so valuable and so yeah. important because yeah. I, know. I think it really straps people to a paradigm that might be very impactful to their sense of well-being. Meaning yeah, I, I, I think some, especially some of the younger doctors who are more empathic and more open, they may want to have more leeway. And now more than ever, we're seeing that people that Andy Weil has trained have opened residency programs and are working in medical schools. So yeah. the climate has really changed, although it's still very toxic. <laughs> Very extremely. I, I left residency and I was depressed. And I actually, during residency was when I discovered like integrative medicine and I tried to go, I, I reached out to my program director and then, you know, the guy above him and they basically just ignored me and didn't respond to any of my emails saying, Hey, can I do a month in Arizona, please? Can I, or can I at least like do something integrative? And it was just ignore yeah, I was really, you know, again, I guess maybe because I had just, um, just good luck. I was able to do the residency the one month when I was a resident. And so that's what really, I forgot to mention that. So that was largely what prompted me to move out to Tucson. And ultimately I ended up in Phoenix, long, long, long story <laughs> for another time, but um, <laughs> it involves a divorce and all that. Other <laughs> Maybe better over a meal. Okay. Podcast. But yes, um, um, one of the meals that you always make. What's that? I'll I'll eat any of the meals that you always oh, make. Oh, Phil, that's so kind. You know, <laughs> I've I've always loved to cook. And in that time that I took off as a pre-med, I actually thought about being a chef. I thought about the transforming quality of bringing really um, high quality food, like farm to table. Even back then I was thinking about gardening, farm to table, um, sustainability concepts. Yeah. And yeah. ultimately, you know, to all the chefs out there, kudos to you, because I think many of them work as hard and in some cases, if not longer hours than some physicians, once they're done with their training. Correct. And so I realized like, well, that was maybe not going to, I didn't know if I had the stamina to, to, right. you know, open restaurants and I, break I, into that. 
I think that you have done everything. <laughs> <laughs> what I would love to do. I'll just put this out here. Like and you maybe did medical can... school residency. I'm pretty sure you could open a restaurant if you want. <laughs> <laughs> I know. What I'd love to do at this stage is um, partner with a chef who, a plant-based chef who's interested in doing Ayurvedic based food. I honestly, I think you'll be able to find that easily. That yeah. would be amazing. Wouldn't it be? I mean, I don't know of anybody doing more of that gourmet experience of like, in an Ayurveda, we call it a sattvic diet, meaning it's a diet that nourishes your soul, not just your physical and emotional state. And the way the spices combine, the way the food is prepared, it gives this sense of, you know, it gives you energy to do the work you're here to do that your soul feels called to do. And it's very abstract, but these no. days I, I'm willing to say it. I'll say it. <laughs> hey, no, please say it. Say it. I want to hear it all. So um, what kind of foods? So tell me more about, so then you went and you studied more, cause I want to get to the food at the end. I just okay. went through your journey. You, then you started studying with, what was his name? I'm so sorry. Dr. Vasant Ladd. He's at Dr. the Ayurvedic Vasant. Institute in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Wow. Is he still there? He is. They've had the shift because of the in-person learning. Yeah. So anybody who's interested could go to ayurveda.com okay. and learn about him. He, he must have been early to the internet because that's the domain to have, I guess. If yeah. you're in Ayurveda. But he is a teacher. He trained in the Western system in India, but also in Ayurveda. For those of your listeners that aren't as familiar, Ayurveda is a traditional healing system that utilizes our relationship to ourselves and the natural world through um, looking at the five elements and how they exist within us to promote balance. And right. in many ways, it mimics the five, the six pillars that are found in lifestyle medicine. And I always like to tell people that um, the founders of lifestyle medicine, um, for example, Dean Ornish, studied with Swami Satchdananda and was largely given the tenets of what he teaches from an Indian teacher and following in these Vedic sciences. So much of what is in mo modern lifestyle medicine, which is 150 minutes of movement per week, appropriate restorative sleep, plant forward diet, um, social connection, removing intoxicants and stress reduction is found it's sort of like a Venn diagram, you know, here's lifestyle medicine and then here's Ayurveda holding wow. all those tenets and so much more. And so you don't have to have as much familiarity with the doshas, vata, pitta, or kapha to still get a lot of benefit from Ayurveda by just looking at how you, how you intuitively reflect and relate to your day-to-day -day life. It's so valuable to just start to notice, to pause. Am I feeling more or less creative? Am I feeling more or less energized? How's my digestion? Am I sleeping deeper? Do I have a, a spontaneous feeling of joy or am I feeling under it all the time? Yes, um, and this is stuff that I think that we should be taught at a younger age to identify emotions and what they are. And um, I feel like I wasn't even taught that growing up, you know, it's just, um, and, and, but I, I get it more and more now on a, on a day to day. I really get it. And, um, I think it's, it has everything to do with all the education I've like put in my brain. I know you're in the 38th grade. I bet. <laughs> yeah. People are always like, 
Um, like when, sometimes when my patients come to me, they're like, how long were you in school for? And I'm like, I'm like always in school. I'm still in school. <laughs> I'm, I'm literally like, I'm always like trying to read something and I'm still in school. And I want, I actually want to do your program. The one that you told me about earlier, the, uh, actually, can we talk about that? You teach Ayurvedic yes. medicine to practitioners, specifically right. doctors or specifically also doctors. Okay, I'll explain my sort of rationale around that because I have definitely had interest from other people. Yeah. And so the way the program, um, what happened was, is I did this extended course of study in Ayurveda, and then I was participating as uh, a faculty contributor in the Integrative Medicine Fellowship. And I began to see that with Ayurveda, it's a very organic living science. And so when you read about it and you don't have a mentor, it doesn't land. It doesn't, um, yeah. it, the concepts are difficult. And so I realized also, this is a very interesting thing that became clearer to me, was that the way we think is sort of linear in medicine. Now, many of us begin as we go along in our career to be more dimensional in our, we see it more, but we tend to like look at a number and look at an outcome or look at a solution. And we have to, that's, that's perfectly appropriate and reasonable for what's expected within the way that practices are structured. But in Ayurveda, we have to sort of see things and experience things intuitively and in non-linear relationships, which yeah. we are capable of doing as humans. And so what I decided was that many, very few physicians could take three years off, as you said. And what I wanted to do was yeah. to create this bridge of awareness because in my mind, in my experience, learning Ayurveda gives people this opportunity to nourish themselves in a deep way so that they feel fulfilled to live the mission, the work they're here to do. And we say Dharma, you know, it's that sense of purpose and direction that you want your life to have. Is there that sense of resiliency within yourself to do to get to the space of that work to have clarity on it and then to express it and to live yeah. that and embody it and i realized that physicians are at an unprecedented juncture with the stress in their careers and the way that so the dysfunction, much. so right? much so much it's it's yes <laughs> yeah and I so of it as someone who's been through like extreme amounts of stress. I think I had my first panic attack in residency yeah. and I was driving and I was just panicking. panicking. Yeah, you don't know. Where did this come from? Like, it was just, I was hyperventilating and just bawling my eyes out. And I was like, what is happening to me? Oh, I know. And I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> like, you're sitting here now and you have health. So you've done the hard work to so get so much hard work. It took like, it was PTSD after residency. <laughs> yeah. Well, and to just pause there, like yeah. that's real. Yeah. That is, yeah, yeah. I had that too. Like there were aspects of how things landed for me that I emotionally never fully processed and kept me in that activated fight, flight, freeze state. I mean, yeah. and I don't want to in any way belittle the intensity of different types of trauma that lead to PTSD. I mean, so, some people might say, how could a residency do that? But the what's expected of you and, and the sacrifices that you make and what you see in terms of just abject human suffering can definitely lead to PTSD. And I want to just oh, pause with that. that you said that. 
Yeah. And, and I would encourage if you have any practitioners, physicians listening, that if you have an inkling or a sense that that might be something you're experiencing, definitely reach out to a qualified trauma-informed counselor yeah. to look at that. Because it, working on that, which I did do, actually, I worked with a trauma-informed counselor for a long time to understand what had happened in that journey that had impacted my sense of well-being and my sense oh, of yeah. resiliency. So I really definitely relate to that. Wow. Thank you for like, that's so beautiful. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. Totally validate your, your perspective and your, yeah. Cause sometimes you feel like, was I the only one? Was that like, was I the only one? (laughs) You know, and I think that sense of silos is so, so this course really serves to create connection amongst physicians who want to learn the science of Ayurveda. And so in the course, we, every week we do a yoga class, a mindfulness class, a cooking class. Um, and then we have a self-care sort of Ayurvedic swag box for lack of a better word, where you get to try these Ayurvedic treatments on yourself. And then, yes. and then we get some tutoring from Vaidyas who are experts from India. You know, the, there's a continuum of knowledge in Ayurveda. There's definitely people that know far more than I do. Um, but I didn't it's want that like, to stop me. The never know? ending knowledge, um, never ending. Yeah, exactly. You have to, at some point, just say, I'm a link in the chain and it's okay yeah. that I'm not, you know, I, you understand. And so, yeah. um, and then we do a weekly connection call and I, we have, we do that over 12 weeks and the first six weeks, we really just look at intuition and creativity and connecting to our senses which is a central tenet in Ayurveda. Like how many people can say in Western society that they sit around connecting to their senses? Not many. And it's so valuable. And in fact, you know, there's a, in the CBT uh, community um, and the DBT, you know, the dialectic therapy and the cognitive behavior therapy, they have that mnemonic, you know, five things you see, four things you hear, three things you feel, two things you smell, one thing you taste as a grounding exercise for when people are experiencing, you know, heightened sensitivity, you know, it helps ground them to being present to their senses. And often and in Ayurveda, I could explain it, but what that does is it, it brings our, our nervous system to into more of a center point where we can exhale again, we can relax, we can integrate an experience we're having. Because oftentimes I think when that energy gets really um, active, you know, it can take a while to unwind it. And so finding those techniques of inhaling, pause, exhaling, going to the five senses has been really valuable with, um, I worked, I did offer that with client work when I was in primary care and I saw a really wonderful impact so I kind of packaged that all together. And that's the primary work I'm doing is really supporting the, the vitality and wellness for physicians to get that feeling of fulfillment so that they don't go their whole career and, and say, you know, I, if only I had. So we do a little bit of coaching in there too, to kind of fine tune the internal messaging I need that. When is when's your next uh, course start? Because we start February seventh. But we can talk about that off. <laughs> no, no, we're talking about because if any physician is listening, they should 
register. It's honestly though, like it, it, medicine is so weird. Traditional Western medicine. There's a lot of good, but there's, there's, you know, a lot of, um, stress that it puts physicians under and even patients too. And it's I think like the system that like, it's like a black hole is just sucking you in and yeah, you can't get out. So when <laughs> I think, you know, you bring such an important point, which is that when physicians are experiencing and they've categorized it burnout, but I think there's a lot of facets to what equals burnout, yeah. but there's more medical error and there's more patient dissatisfaction due to think of it. I mean, and I've experienced it. It sounds like you may have, I don't want to make an assumption, but if you're feeling sure. like you, you're at the, you're, you're max out in your bandwidth and, and somebody asks you a question and you have to reach in to meet them in their question. It's sometimes you just don't have it. You want to have it, you know, it's needed, yeah. but there's like the well is dry and yeah. you, you want to pull the water out and give them that drink. You know, they're thirsty. Yeah. But the well is dry. Right. And yeah. It, yeah. So there's so many layers to how the system as it's currently structured impacts the well-being of both patients and providers. And I don't actually, to be honest, I don't have a solution. I, it feels like this, this system until people literally just sort of generate their own practices. And I wonder if it the millennials- start, has to start from a young age, I think, and implementing health and wellness uh, into your lifestyle. And so I think it's not, you can't just like change the traditional Western medical system without changing the root, you know, like you have to change how the Western society like functions on their day to day. Absolutely. And I think that's so, it's such a valuable thing that you bring that up because one of the central tenets in Ayurveda is something called a dinacharya, which is your self-care routine. And if we were teaching that to kids for them to learn intuitively, well, it's hot in the summer, I need to look more to these botanicals and foods to keep balance, or it's a really cold winter, I need these warming teas. I mean, simple small steps and kids actually have such an intuitive relationship that we actually help them um, bury that as, as we get older. Um, there's so much to talk about. And I know that um, we both have to go. There's yes. so much to talk about. I, I feel like I could talk to you forever. <laughs> so but, um, I'll, I'll definitely, I'm so excited and maybe we could do this again. I'd love to. There's so there is a lot to talk about, and um, you know, I'm sure we'll see each other on Clubhouse, and maybe we can have a discussion there. I even want if it's to. a small room. Yeah. Do a small room because these big rooms, I'm like, uh, <laughs> I'm like, I'll just be a silent listener in the corner. <laughs> yeah, I know. I totally get it. Um, <laughs> but thank you so much. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I know you're super busy and you're doing all these amazing things, but, um. If people are interested in learning more about Ayurveda as just like a, like a non-medical person, just someone who, who's interested, who's listening, like, uh, what would you recommend are the best sources, especially during COVID, I'd say? Yeah, well, you know, and it's interesting. There's a sort of extended discussion had on the continuum of wellness and prevention and supporting the body so that if you are exposed, you have more resiliency, not as a substitution 
for the vaccine. And I always like to point that out. I think it's really important that though I'm a huge proponent, you know, I do see the value in, you know, trying to move through this period with, you know, the imperfect solutions that we have. It, right. There's no, there's nothing that feels or looks perfect or great. People, right. you know, have to understand that. But I think a really important thing to understand about Ayurveda is that working with someone is the key. You mm -hmm. can't, I just don't think, um, people have asked me, they're like, do you have a dosha quiz on your website? Which is the way you assess your Ayurvedic <laughs> body type. And I always say, I may do something like quick and easy. Yeah, exactly. And to really understand Ayurveda, I highly recommend um, working with someone who's been certified as a lifestyle practitioner through NAMA. So it's the National Ayurvedic Medical Association, NAMA. And they have a website with practitioners. And they also have some lectures and some reference books and great resources. So also and Dr. Ladd's website, ayurveda.com, there's a series of lectures that he offers for free, as well as all of his textbooks. And so those are my two. him up too, by the way. Absolutely. He's, I always say Dr. Ladd is sort of a living luminary. He's a very, um, I feel so um, blessed. I'm so grateful I had the opportunity to study with him. Wow. Um, wow. He, it was such a treasure because he really embodied all the characteristics of a healer who was still embodied in the day-to-day -day reality. You know, there are some spiritual leaders or, or people that hold space, but they don't, they're not practical. They're not in the weeds with people. They're right. You know, yes. it's a hand, it's a, it's a distance away. Right. And Dr. Ladd would be right there with people, but also in his other space of holding, you know, a amazing. Yeah. Really. I feel like I said, I feel very fortunate and I always credit him as a teacher and I think it's important to acknowledge the elders and teachers who've made their own series of sacrifices to bring knowledge to us and have faced their own degree of challenges and, and opposition in times when there wasn't as much interest in it. Right, right. Wow, that's amazing. Thank you. Yes, it was Thank so great to connect today. And um, I will talk with you very soon. Yes, yes, absolutely. It's a treasure and so grateful you're doing this podcast and wish you all the best in your practice endeavors. Thank you.